Warning. This podcast contains violent depictions, which some listeners may find disturbing. Aureen glared at her, his lips forming a wicked smile. Is little baby going to cry? Evine's eyes narrowed, and she grabbed Aureen's foot and pulled it to her mouth before he could react, butting down for all she was worth. The little boy toppled backward, slamming his head on the foam stone floor with a dull thud. He loosed an enormous shriek, trying to back away from the demonic Evine on heels and elbows. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Slackerverse Tales, the podcast that features new and original short fantasy and sci-fi stories from the Slackerverse, also known as the universe of my mind. I'm your host, Mark Jefferson. I produced everything you hear in this podcast at the Slacker Studios. The only thing I didn't create was the music and sound effects. Special shout out to Pixabay.com and all the wonderful contributors on that site. Pixabay offers royalty-free photos, illustrations, vectors, videos, GIFs, audio, and sound effects. I use their website and think they offer an excellent product. Check them out at Pixabay.com. P-I-X-A-B-A-Y dot com. Today, we're looking at a short story I wrote as part of my first novel, Overseer Servants. We follow a young child who learns what it means to sacrifice her own happiness for another's. The story is called First Memories and explores how a child deals with an abusive situation. Evine is three and learns a valuable lesson from an unpleasant experience. The story explores Evine's inner motivations and why she grows into such a good arbitrator in the Overseer books. The story takes place about 19 years before Overseer Servants. It's an enlightening story of how, once you understand someone's inner motivations, you can help to make life a little better for that person. I don't remember how long it took to write the story. I wrote it several years ago. I tried to fit it into the book, but I just couldn't find anywhere to insert it, and it's remained unpublished. You're hearing it here first. Okay, on to the story. May I present Overseer, First Memories, by Mark Jefferson. Mine. Evine snatched her stuffed doll from Aurene, scowling. Evine seemed tiny compared to the older boy. He outweighed her by at least a stone, and he used his size to intimidate anyone smaller than him. Aurene derived pleasure from tormenting the other children, but teasing Evine was always dangerous. For a young child, she put up quite a fight. Aurene tried to snatch the doll back, but Evine pulled it further out of reach. Evine, almost three, was a full head shorter than Aurene. With light brown hair and piercing blue eyes, she seemed angelic, until she wasn't. Aurene shoved her, and she hit the ground. He hovered over her, grabbing the doll and grinning at his friends. If Aurene had been older, he would have realized they were not his friends, just children who were glad he picked on someone else. Today was Evine's turn. Evine's eyes narrowed, and she gritted her teeth in pain. Mine! Aurene glared at her, his lips forming a wicked smile. Is little baby going to cry? Evine's eyes narrowed, and she grabbed Aurene's foot and pulled it to her mouth before he could react, butting down for all she was worth. 
The little boy toppled backward, slamming his head on the foamstone floor with a dull thud. He loosed an enormous shriek, trying to back away from the demonic Evine on heels and elbows. Evine readjusted her grip and bit down harder. Blood oozed from her lips as her teeth sank into his leg. A caretaker appeared from nowhere. Stop this at once! The woman, Lodor, grabbed Evine's arm, attempting to yank her off. Evine wouldn't let go, biting even harder than before and clutching his leg with both arms. Orin screamed bloody murder, still trying to scrabble away from her. The woman smacked Evine on her head, then grabbed her hair. But Evine hung on, making Orin pay for trying to steal her doll. A stern voice echoed across the room. Evine, let him go! Now! Evine released Orin, grabbing her doll. She glared at Orin, clutching her doll to her narrow chest. She pointed one finger at him. No! Mine! Evine, come here! Evine marched across the room, stopping in front of the older woman. She stared up at Nanine the headmistress of the orphanage. Her eyes still narrowed in anger. Evine presented her doll, as if that explained everything. Mine! Evine glanced back at Orin, pointing. No! Nanine sighed in resignation. Shaking her head, she grabbed Evine's hand and led her away from the crowd forming around her. A small curtained-off section separated her office from the rest of the enormous hall. Nanine directed Evine to a large, overstuffed pillow and sat on the one beside it. She patted the pillow, motioning to Evine. The little girl sat, crossing her legs and turning to Nanine. Nanine put her arm around Evine, studying her for a moment. In a low voice, she said, I worry about you, Evine. I don't expect you to understand, but this orphanage is the only family you have. Your parents died in the Great Calamity. All these children are your brothers and sisters. We are the only family you have. Evine glanced at her doll, still clutched under her arm, then turned in Orin's direction even though she couldn't see him through the wall hangings. She heard the boy wailing as if mortally wounded. He took Dolly. Mummy gave me. Evine, Orin is not like you. His parents didn't die. His parents left him here because they didn't want him anymore. He acts like that because he doesn't know how else to act. He knows his parents gave him up. He remembers them. He knows they didn't love him. Nanine loosed a long breath. Why am I telling you this? You don't understand. But he took Dolly. Nanine shook her head, loosing a heavy sigh as if giving up. You realize I must punish you. You drew blood this time. I hate doing this, but you can't hurt the other children. Evine tilted her head, then rose to her feet and dropped her pants, bending over and exposing her rear to Nanine. Nanine had punished Evine many times, and she raised an eyebrow in surprise. Evine wasn't the easiest child, and Nanine choked down a hidden smile at the strange situation. She thought for a moment, then said, I won't spank you this time, Evine. 
but I want you to think about how you hurt Aurene. He is your family, and we don't hurt family here. No spanking. Yvine's brows knitted together in confusion, her young mind trying to process this change of tactics. Every time she got in trouble, they spanked her. That was how it worked. She didn't even cry anymore. She pulled her pants up and turned back to the headmistress. Nanine shook her head. No, spankings don't work on you anymore. I think we need to try something different from now on. She studied Avine for a moment, her gaze flickering to Dolly. She held her hand out. Give me Dolly. Evine's eyes grew wide and her lip quivered. But Mummy gave me Dolly. Mine. Nanine kept her hand held out, waiting for Evine, and the little girl studied her. After a moment, she surrendered the doll. I'll give this back to you tomorrow. Evine, on the verge of tears, looked lost. Now, let's go tell Oreen you're sorry. She took Evine's hand and led her to the curtained opening. The children surrounding Oreen parted at their approach, growing silent. When Oreen saw Evine, his eyes widened in terror, and he screamed even louder. Evine glanced up at Nanine, then turned back to Oreen. Sorry. She let Nanine's hand drop. A man kneeled beside Oreen, stroking Oreen's wound. Tiny sparks danced over the wounds as the man spoke words Evine couldn't understand. The wound healed before Evine's eyes, the flesh knitting together until nothing remained but a dark bruise. Thank you, Gila. I'm sorry we had to call you on such short notice. This one, she gestured towards Evine, doesn't take kindly to bullies. The man sat back, watching Evine. I can't believe something so tiny could cause such a large wound. He shook his head in wonder. Evine's eyes narrowed, and she glared at the healer. Nanine escorted the healer out, heading towards a far door at the opposite end of the hall. The children dispersed, leaving Avine and Orin alone. Orin cowered away from her, and Avine turned on her heel, retreating to a far corner to sulk. She studied Orin, thinking about what Nanine had told her. As young as she was, she understood far more than people gave her credit. Nanine led Avine to her sleeping mat early as part of her punishment, just as the caregiver served dinner. Evine's stomach grumbled, but she did not react otherwise. She was used to this treatment as well, having done many things worthy of discipline in her short life. In the back of her mind, Evine continued to process Nanine's lecture, not yet reconciling her and Aurene's different situations. Nanine studied Evine as she tucked her in, glancing behind her and making sure no one watched her. She pulled a slice of bread with jam smeared across its face from a loose sleeve and passed it to Evine. Many people had died after the Great Calamity, but Evine had never considered some parents wouldn't want their children. Evine woke from a fitful sleep. She was a light sleeper, and she often woke during the darkest part of the night. She heard whimpering from a bedroll several rows away, something she had never noticed before. Evine didn't know the time, but she knew it was late. Evine often woke to this sound without realizing what it was. And tonight, she decided to investigate it. She rose, following the sound, and found that it led to Orin's bedroll, 
Knowing what she had learned from Nanin, it didn't surprise her. She watched Irene for a long time, making no sound, listening as he moaned in his sleep. He wasn't awake, but Yvine felt sadness pour from him like waves of heat. Yvine heard someone stop behind her. She looked over her shoulder, recognizing Nanine. The older woman pursed her lips, then said, Go to bed, Yvine. It's too late for you to be up. Yvine pointed to Orin. Why he cry? Nanine's eyes flickered to Orin. You know why. He feels like no one loves him. Nanine took Yvine's hand, leading her back to her sleeping mat, and tucked her in. Yvine thought back to her conversation earlier that day. She had no family, although she wanted one more than anything. As Nanine had pointed out, this was all she had. Yvine thought most of the caregivers were callous, but Nanine was different. She cared. She was the only one that treated Yvine with kindness. Did that make Nanine her mommy? Was Aureen her brother? Yvine pondered that thought for a long time, then drifted into a troubled sleep. Yvine woke with a start, blinking sleep from bleary eyes. The other children stirred, and soon Nanine entered the room. All right, children, we need to clean up so we can have breakfast. She clapped her hands twice, and Yvine kneeled next to her bed as she was trained, folding her blanket and rolling her mat. Each child had a duty, even the young ones like Yvine. Yvine moved to the kitchen and retrieved a small basket of linen napkins while other children helped set up a long table. She took her basket of napkins and another child, older than Yvine, placed it on the table. Yvine was far too short to reach the top. She returned to the kitchen several more times, each time delivering another basket to the long table. After breakfast, Yvine shadowed Nanine, following her wherever she went. She said nothing, but always made sure she was within Nanine's eyesight. Nanine busied herself herding the children and cleaning away the breakfast table. Yvine, growing impatient, tugged on her robe. Nanine glanced down, noticing Yvine for the first time. What is it, Yvine? Dolly! Oh, sorry, I forgot about Dolly. Give me a few moments. Nanine bustled about, taking care of many things. Yvine trailed Nanine, a tiny shadow always at her feet. The headmistress finished her tasks and retreated to her makeshift office. Yvine followed her in. Nanine took Dolly from atop a tall shelf, handing it back to Yvine. I hope you behave better today. Don't make me take Dolly again. Thank you. Yvine hugged Dolly, then turned on her heel and exited the room. She found a quiet corner and sat, hugging Dolly again. Yvine studied Irene wherever he went. And when he tried to pick on another child, Yvine stalked up to him. No, bad Aurene. Still limping from his encounter with Yvine the previous day, he tried to avoid her. She stalked him the entire day, making him so uncomfortable, he complained to the caregivers. Sundimin came, along with the evening meal, and Yvine continued studying Aurene. Her little mind attempted to reconcile his behavior with the information Nanine had passed to her. Yvine helped stow away the dinner mess, then unrolled her sleeping mat with the other children, 
Sleep did not come for her. She lay awake, thinking about Orin. Late into the night, she heard sniffling and faint whimpers. She rose and approached Orin's mat. He lay curled in a ball, hugging himself and whimpering. Yvine heard a rustle behind her and glanced over her shoulder. Nanine waited behind her, turning a stern scowl towards Yvine. What are you doing, Yvine? It's sleep time. Go back to bed. Yvine clutched Dolly, looking up at Nanine. You, mummy. Nanine sighed. She pursed her lips, and her eyes turned sad. I'm not your mummy, Yvine. Your mummy is with the creator. Yvine shook her head in frustration. I know you're not my mummy, but your mummy. She turned back to Aurene, nodding towards him. He, my brother. Aurene, only half awake, did not register the conversation. He continued to whimper into his blanket. Yvine turned to Nanine. He need dole. Yvine, go back to bed. No, he got no mummy. He need dole. Nanine's eyes knitted together in confusion. What do you mean, Yvine? He need Dole. Dole his family now. Yvine kneeled beside Orin and gently lifted his arm. She placed Dolly beneath it, then lowered it over the doll. Orin drew the doll close and stopped crying. With a satisfied glance at Nanine, she returned to her bed. She pulled the covers up, then fell asleep as soon as her head touched the mat. Nanine, stunned, felt a tear trickle down her face and drip off her chin. She brushed her face, wiping the wet streak away. How could Yvine give up the only thing she owned to comfort another child she didn't even like? Nanine wasn't sure if Yvine understood the price she had just paid, but somehow she thought Yvine might. She kneeled beside Yvine and laid a hand on her slumbering brow. Good night, my darling. I will be your mummy. She rose and retreated to her office, reclining on her bedroll. She stared into the darkness, contemplating Yvine's kindness. Perhaps there was hope for her yet. I hope you enjoyed Overseer First Memories. I wrote it while writing my first book, Overseer Servants. It ends on a heartwarming and hopeful note, which was something I wanted to portray. It showcases Yvine's character, her toughness, her fearlessness, and how kind-hearted she is, even from an early age. Yvine is by no means perfect. She has quite a temper. But she always does the right thing in the end. Yvine becomes a powerful sorceress, but at a cost. Using magic in the Overseer universe has real-world costs, something like radiation poisoning. In later years, her heavy magic use makes her barren. She has permanent hair loss over her entire body. She has frequent bouts of weakness and nausea. Still, her self-sacrifice and willingness to save others are what saves the world. Two other characters in this story appear in Overseer Silence. Nanine rose to the highest administrator position in the city of Eene. Orin, the bully, turns his life around and becomes a groundkeeper at the Arbitrator Temple. He is the person who transports Silence and her entourage's luggage to the train station. Yvine grows up and joins the Arbitrator Sisterhood, but she never forgets her roots and visits the orphanage as often as she can. 
She helps find jobs for many orphans during her tenure as an arbitrator. Yveen helped Oreen get his job after he left the orphanage. The arbitrator's life is hard, full of sacrifice and service. Their selection process is extreme, and they only select a few students each year. Arbitrator candidates must prioritize others, show great loyalty, and love people. Arbitrators act as the de facto police force, judges, juries, social workers, and mediators for the city. Most arbitrators never marry because of the demanding lifestyle, and once in the sisterhood, leaving is not an option. They're too powerful. The magic system in the Overseer universe is unique. Everyone can use magic. Magic is neither good nor evil. It's a natural force. All individuals, regardless of ability, can cast spells starting at a young age. They collect their magic power, known as mana, and store it in crystal rings they wear every day. They use this mana to cast spells, and for money as well. I spent many months crafting the Overseer world, and I hope it shows in the finished product. I've had several comments from readers that the magic seems like a natural extension of the Overseer world. This wasn't by accident. I have about 70 pages of notes I created before I started writing the first book. It was tedious work, but I'm glad I did it now. I refer to these notes often when writing an overseer story, and they have saved my bacon several times. There's nothing worse than inconsistencies in your world building. I assure you, readers notice. Writing has always been my passion, and I've written several books. You can find me on Amazon.com. Just look up Mark Jefferson Overseer. Select a book, then click on my name in the author section. You can view all my published books on that page. If you like this story, try reading my novels. I think you'll enjoy them. I've written many short stories that take place in this and other settings, and I may feature some of them in upcoming podcasts. Several of these short stories are in my published books as prologues or epilogues, while others are unpublished. Either way, I hope you enjoy them all. Some stories I've written use different and novel magic systems. In the Overseer universe, magic permeates everything, and all people use it. In other stories, magic is science-based, and only those trained can use it. One story I'm working on has magic in the water, and users store its power in silver and gold rings. The world is a mountain that floats on a sea of clouds, and metal is rare. It's just a sample of what's coming. Our next podcast will follow another character in the Overseer universe, set during the epic battle for the city of On. That story chronicles Dango's tragic history and appears in Overseer's Silence. Dango is in the second book as well, but I never mention his name. If you've read the Overseer books, I think you'll know when he appears. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends about it. Thanks for listening to The Slackerverse Tales. This is your host. Mark Jefferson, signing off. Cheers, everyone. Slackerverse.